Thank you for tuning into the Federalist Files on today's weekend special episode. We cover Joe Biden's gun control proposals, the Derek Chauvin case, and candy-ass Republican Asa Hutchinson. Today, I'm proud to nominate David Chipman to serve as a director of the AFT. David knows the AFT well. He served there for 25 years. And Vice President Harris and I believe he's the right person at this moment for this important agency. So Idiot of the Week award goes to Joe Biden, as always. Thus far, I think I have rewarded him with a couple of Idiot of the Week awards. That's him on gun control. We're going to be going over some of the gun control measures proposed by the Biden administration. They're talking about arm braces as well as ghost guns, uh, which I've mentioned. We've covered that before, but we're going to go over it once again today. But I just want to start off. This is the initial clip, and he had this big speech, his proposals, where he laid them out. This is the initial clip, which is very easily debunked. Uh, play five. But today we're taking steps to confront not just the gun crisis, but what is actually a public health crisis. Nothing, nothing I'm about to recommend in any way impinges on the Second Amendment. There are phony arguments suggesting that these are Second Amendment rights at stake from what we're talking about. But no amendment, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. You can't yell crowd, you can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater. We call a freedom of speech. From the very beginning, you couldn't own any weapon you wanted to own. From the very beginning of the Second Amendment existed, certain people weren't allowed to have weapons. So the idea is just bizarre to suggest that some of the things we're recommending are contrary to the Constitution. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic. So there's a lot to unpack there. As always, I'm going to have everything that I refer to in the show notes. Once again, uh, every single source I have will be provided below. First off, just because at the inception of the country that there were some people that were prohibited from owning weaponry, if if I had to guess, it was probably black Americans at that time, doesn't mean that that was a a good position. I don't know where, uh, you know, Joe Biden citing racism back in the very beginning of the inception of the country with black Americans being unable to own firearms, being unable to own weapons. And historically, every single time there was a gun control measure proposed in the past, usually it was directly uh, affected black Americans much more than anybody else. And that was the reason for the gun control proposal. And it it was always the Democrats that were proposing the gun control, by the way, folks, every single time. Uh, historically, if anybody would like to prove me wrong, you could prove me wrong. But historically, it's always been the Democrats trying to take guns out of the hands of minorities. It's never, it's never been the Republicans that have done that. And I'm not a huge, like I said it before, I'm not a huge Republican fan. I'm going to sit here and trash Asa Hutchinson later because he's just such a phony candy ass Republican. He's just a joke. He's not even like a, a candy ass conservative, really. I'd, I'd rather call him because he, he says, "Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'll get to that later." But that is wrong. That is uh, categorically incorrect. The idea that, oh, well, in the past it's been used and there were people that are unable to have weapons, so this is a good thing. I just don't know where that argument really, uh, how that's an effective argument. Rather, now, in terms of the idea of absolute, if you want to say any, 
any amendment was to be absolute the first amendment to begin with this this whole crowd this yelling fire in a crowded theater that is actually protected under the first amendment there was a supreme court case that concluded that that is protected under the first amendment there's been many times where the first amendment's been challenged in the supreme court the supreme court really screwed it up and then turned around over the years and they would overturn the decision and create a new case law standard uh now that that saying democrats always utter it i even hear republicans sometimes utter it it's incorrect it's categorically incorrect you can yell fire in a crowded theater that is protected under the first amendment uh so B biden just yes he, he has absolutely no clue of what's going on i think that these gun control measures if pushed through executive action are going to be a serious problem uh, for the Democrats, for just anybody in, in a general sense, for the politicians, it can really cause a lot of chaos and pandemonium in our country. And any type of gun grab in general, you get it's it's very dicey. We get ourselves in a very dicey, highly volatile situation. So he announces his gun control proposals. I have a piece here from the AmericanMilitaryNews.com. It's written by Liz George. It reads, within 30 days, the DOJ plans to issue a proposed rule to help stop the proliferation of ghost guns, homemade firearms built from gun kits. Within 60 days, the department will publish model red flag legislation for states. Uh, the White House statement issued late Wednesday reads, and I quote, The President urges Congress to pass an appropriate national red flag law, as well as legislation incentivizing state to, states to pass red flag laws of their own. In the interim, the Justice Department's published model legislation will make it easier for states that want to adopt red flag laws to do. Alright, so the, these ghost guns begin with these ghost guns. It, what it is essentially is you you buy a kit. It is I think it's called like an eighty twenty kit or something like that. Uh, to begin with, to buy parts of firearms and get it shipped to your house is not illegal. The only illegal part that you actually have to go to an FFL for is the upper receiver, from where the round enters the chamber, from the magazine. That that part that receiver it's kind of it's additionally where your pistol grip is going to hold on to and be attached to. That is the part that you need to actually specifically go to an FFL to purchase. So there are certain companies that will sell the parts. Those parts you then have to put together and then you have yourself an upper receiver. It is not very easy to do this. This is you have to be somewhat mechanically inc inclined with certain types of machinery to do this, to do so. It's not a super easy thing to do. Uh, if there is... If there is some sort of criminal element to this, if, if a criminal needs to get a firearm, the last thing that they're going to do is, is to begin with, a criminal, the reason that they commit crime, they're too lazy to work. Um, this is an easy out for them. This is an easy way to conduct the crime. It's an easy way to do something. So in a general sense, if you're looking to commit a crime, you're looking to rob somebody, you're looking to uh, assault somebody, kill somebody, what have you. You usually are not someone that has all of your ducks in a row. You're not going to be organized enough to order something online like this and then order all the other parts to attach to this upper receiver to make it a fully uh, functional firearm. So in this case, this, this, this idea of banning these ghost guns, I just don't know if there has been a mass shooting carried out by a ghost gun that was undetectable. 
I do not think that pertains to any case that has recently happened. Apparently, this whole arm brace situation, the man that uh, was in Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, carried it out with an arm brace. So I think that both of the bands are stupid. I, I think that they're tyrannical in nature. I think they're authoritarian. And the arm brace situation is it's your pistol. And, and I think he had in this situation, it was more like a rifle pistol. I don't know exactly what it was called. But it, it is shaped, formed like a rifle. But in certain aspects, it's a pistol in terms of the caliber of the uh, round that, that he's expelling out of out of the, the firearm. Arm braces a lot of the time are used by people that are unable, people that are that only have one limb, that are unable to sustain or unable to control with the other hand a pistol what they're trying to sell this for right now the administration is trying to sell this as an arm brace automatically makes a pistol a a rifle and that is not the case rifles are much more accurate especially because the caliber of the round has more distance to it it's it's, it's ag more accurate that way it's more armor penetrating in a far further distant situations just more, a rifle in a general sense is just much more accurate than a uh, especially from a longer range than a pistol putting an arm brace on somebody does not make their pistol a rifle as they're stating currently as the administration is is currently stating and they're talking to an audience that is ignorant and i'm my, myself i know firearms to an, to an extent there's there's some gun there's some uh, gun nerds out there i don't even want to call them gun nuts they're more like nerds they're kind of like dorky uh, as it relates to firearms, they're very, very intrigued with it. Kind of like how there are also are car nerds out there that will work on their car as a mechanic all day after they get out of work. Same thing with people that are really interested in comic books, video games. It's the same thing. Guys get interested in, in a general sense. Men get interested in specific activity activities or um, they have these hobbies that they engage in. So in this case, I think I think all of these are authoritarian. I think that especially the arm brace, I just think it's, I just think they're stupid. Uh, the bigger push that they're going for is all of these things, very small augmentations uh, that they can push further and further. They just keep continue to move the goalpost, and that's the point of these two here. They don't really relate to that many gun owners. But the reason for this is you could just keep pushing the needle further and further and further. It is these very small augmentations of tyranny that we're looking at right now. So it goes on. And, and the reason they want these red flag laws, really what the government's doing right now, they're giving everyone 60 days for these gun kits. Then the department's going to publish some sort of red flag legislation for every single state. So every single state can pretty much copy and paste it straight from the from the executive branch's page. And then those are the rules they're going to implement. Implementing gun control legislation without going through the legislature of the United States, the federal legislature, the way that they're going to attempt to do this through some sort of executive order, and they're going to give the DOJ their orders, and the DOJ is going to have to carry out orders that have not been passed through law. This is unconstitutional. It's tyrannical. You should not listen to anything the government says. And if you are a government agent, you should not enforce any of these policies. If you are a cop, if you are in any type of law enforcement officer, law enforcement entity, you should not be enforcing any of this legislation, period, full stop, the end. And your union should stand up for you. And if your union isn't standing up for you, the people themselves will stand up for you. The gun owners will stand up for you in this case. So it goes on. The final gun control measure Biden plans to implement is the nomination of David Shipman to serve as director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. 
Wednesday, Wednesday's statement also reiterated President Joe Biden's call for Congress to pass gun control legislation, but asserted that the two bills expanding background checks that recently passed in the House wasn't enough. The statement read, and I quote, Congress should close those loopholes and go further, including by closing boyfriend and stalking loopholes that currently allow people found by the courts to be abusers to possess firearms, banning assault weapon weapons and high-capacity magazines, repealing gun manufacturers' immunity from liability, and investing in evidence-based community violence interventions. The Biden administration's statement included calls for Congress to pass and I quote, an appropriate national red flag law, end quote. But Biden said the White House will move forward with gun control policy, whether the Congress acts or not. So that is the threat. The threat is that we're going we're gonna to continue to uh, go, f- go forward with this, even if you guys don't act on it. So there's a couple things that I wanted to just address. This idea of these, these the gun show loophole, uh, it's, it's a false idea. Anyone that's an FFL dealer by federal law has to background check whoever buys from them. That is a federal law. So if the law is not enforced, that does not make it a gun show loophole. If somebody does not follow the law, that does not make it a gun show loophole. That just makes it somebody breaking the law. We already have law laws on the books in that case. In many other states, I think it's something like 13 or 14 states, you cannot privately sell firearms from one person to the other. If they're a family member, in some cases, you can give it off to somebody else. But usually uh, there's a prohibition in 14, I think it's 13 or 14 different states in the United States of private firearm sales. Th- that is, you need to take the gun. Like, for example, in New Jersey, you would have to take the firearm. If I want to sell a gun to my friend, I would have to take my fire, the firearm. I would have to take it to an FFL, and they'd have to carry through the, the sale of the firearm. That is the legal way to do it in New Jersey. If you want to just sell it privately, it, it, you are in violation of the New Jersey state code. Okay? So this gun show loophole is just not true. It's factually incorrect. Now, this, this idea of universal background checks, the reason they want this, folks, this will create a gun registry for them. And many people, you say it and it sounds, what do you mean exactly, a gun registry? Because I've heard this idea before. Every single time there's a purchase of a firearm with a universal background check, it, every single background check will be recorded in the system. Thus, the federal government will know who is purchasing weapons. Maybe they may not know how many weapons they have, but they will know they are gun owners. That is a gun registry. That is a gun owner registration program. They will know that you are a gun owner if you went through a federal firearms background check and if you passed that background check. They know that you are a firearm owner. It creates a list. And then the government knows when they want to take over complete power, they know who to take their guns the guns from. The, the people that are going to fight back against them. And I often hear this other uh, argument. Oh, okay, so then the Second Amendment, this is what liberals will come out with. What do you mean the Second Amendment? So what does that mean? Everybody has the right to own a tank? And really, the answer, the answer to that one is, <clears throat> you can think one way or the other if everybody thinks they have the right to own a tank, but... Small arms in, in Afghanistan, we've been fighting small arms for 20 years. Small arms is in rifles, handguns. They have yet to really have, other than that, any other than guns, they don't really have serious uh, artillery. 
They do not have tanks. They do not have uh, planes that they're fighting us with in Afghanistan. With these extremist groups, they're fighting us with guerrilla warfare, IED, as well as rifles, small arms, rifles, and handguns. That is what our government worth we're worth you know for we have a 700 or an 800 billion dollar budget every single year for the military our government is unable to suppress that threat for 20 years we have been unable to suppress that threat so whatever anybody wants to say oh to beat the government you're going to need tanks you're going to need this you're not going to need any of that you just need a armed citizenry and i don't care which way you you side on that whether you think regular americans should be able to own tanks or not the idea really is just at that at that point it's irrelevant. The real point is that the people themselves concerted can fight against the government if the government is usurping their power. In this case, there's there's so many there's more guns in this country than there are people. So in the middle of all of this, government's coming through, they're coming to take your guns. Uh, they're trying to push more and more gun legislation through executive action, unconstitutionally, might I add. You have Jen Psaki coming out to the press asking everybody just to continue to sacrifice their lives and maybe the government will let them live normally play two. there are americans across the country who are doing exactly what the president is telling them not to do mm-hmm. is the message are americans not hearing this or are they hearing it and ignoring it you know i think the president recognizes that this has been a long and difficult journey for the american public uh we've been Uh, The country has been shut down in one form or another for more than a year now. And people have missed birthday parties, weddings, baseball games, uh, going out to restaurants. It is difficult. It is hard. And what he's asking people to do is to sacrifice a little bit longer. Uh, And he will continue to make that case and make that argument. Now, while we saw uh, the the baseball game, as you you noted, and other events over the weekend, and we certainly anticipate as the weather gets warmer, there will be a temptation. We've also seen communities where local mayors, businesses have conveyed to their uh, communities that we need to hang together, we need to remain vigilant, we need to wear masks, uh, and we, we will get through this together. So we are hopeful that, uh, that that's exactly what the majority of communities in this country will do. Doesn't this idea, this whole, this whole group think, this group ideology, this, oh, if we, if we all act together, all wear masks, we're all going to be fine, as if you're, every single action that you have has a direct impact on your neighbor all of the time. That is, that is the way, and these good intentions uh, that you're supposed to exude just because the government tells you so. This is the way that petty tyrants usually take over. This is the way the communists usually act. They always act like everything they're doing is so virtuous. It's to help you. It's so sanctimonious. And then they turn around and they flip you the double barrel middle finger this entire time. Jen Psaki herself, when she started out in government, when she started before this position in government, she had a very small net worth. She is now worth millions of dollars. Uh, they do not live in the same world as we do, folks, these people, these these politicians. They do not live in the same world. They're telling you to stay at home. Meanwhile, their estate is worth millions of dollars, and they own five acres of land. So them staying home, it's nice. It's it's like being at a, it's like being on a cruise for them to stay home. Whereas with us, staying home in your, in your whether it's in a, you're, you live in an apartment or a 1,000 square foot house, it's not the same. And they're telling you, 
that what you do has a direct impact on everybody else and we all need to act collectively together like one big happy family at the end of the day doesn't it get old from everybody doesn't it get old for you guys doesn't it get old all the time you're getting taxed right so you so you pay taxes and then at your job that you're probably at there's probably a collectivist mindset where people are just trying to pass on more and more work to you where you yourself are taking up a brunt of the work you're taking up you're working you know that saying oh man what is it Pareto's principle or something of that nature it's called Pareto's principle I think 80% of the people do 20% of the work and 20% of the people do 80% of the work we have that implemented in a lot of our jobs and I'm not just speaking for myself where you're doing all of the work and you're getting compensated either the same or less than everybody else we have that now in politics we have that in our individual lives once we get out of work that collectivism that welfare state that's actually created almost in the working programs where it's like your money is everybody else's money. And now we have that in our individual lives as well. Now your breath is everybody else's breath. You have to wear a mask to block your breath from everybody and germs getting on people because you're directly killing people. If your germs get on them, that's the idea here. And that's just not the case. Of course, uh, it, it must get old. And for me, it has gotten very old as I've grown older, as I've looked and my W-2, at the end of the year, when I owe the government $3,500, it does get very old for me. This collectivism mindset, I'm not willing to uh, pay. This redistribution from the government, I'm not willing to pay for other people to live. I'm just not, that is not my job, that is not my problem. It is not my problem, I, do, I should not be taking care of everybody else in the, in the country, and I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way, you feel like you should not be taking care of everybody else. And I'll be truthful with you when other people say, oh, well, why is it, and I'm going to get to this at the very end of the show, talking about Amazon, why is it that these collectivists in the government, these Democrats, why is it that they're not paying extra out of their paycheck after the year ends, gifting it to the government if they think everybody should be paying higher taxes? Why aren't they paying higher taxes? If you think the millionaires and billionaires, as, as Bernie Sanders would say, should be paying a 60% tax rate, then why is it that you're not paying that same tax rate? You want them to pay the tax rate, but you're going to keep doing your thing and dodge taxes. So next what I have is I have this Minneapolis versus the evidence pieces from Ann Coulter. We're going to go over the Derek Chauvin trial a little bit. She, uh, let's see, what do I have? I want to play, start, start, I'll start it off with a clip. There's been a lot of evidence that's come out from the prosecution in this case that has not looked good. It has actually helped the defense out a lot more. The mainstream media, or rather, I'm sorry, the corporate media, they're not reporting it accurately. Uh, of what is transpiring in this case the only way right now from what i've seen from the evidence from what i've seen from the testimonies the only way that this chauvin guy gets second or third degree murder is the is the jury themselves are afraid of the backlash either way there is going to be riots just depends on the magnitude of these riots the severity of them they're going to transpire no matter what they're happening if we get a verdict of not not guilty it is going to be tumultuous, for sure. It is going to be terrible. Uh, and I'm not talking about... I'm talking about the, the chaos that won't sue afterwards. So I'm going to play this clip. And this is a witness from... I think... I'm pretty sure this is cross-examination of a witness from the, from the prosecution. 
At, at one point, George Floyd utters the words, I ta- I ha- I've had too many drugs or I ate too many drugs. Check it out. Play seven. Does it sound like he says, I ate too many drugs? Listen again. I can't make that out, no. So that is a LAPD use of force expert saying he couldn't make out what George Floyd was saying. Now take it as you will, guys. You can be subjective about what it sounded like he said in that scenario. It sounded like he said, I eat too many drugs. This man was three times the lethal dose of uh, fentanyl in his system. From what I have read, he thought... These drugs found, I think it was fentanyl, as well as methamphetamines in it, and he did not. He he thought it was oxycodone. I think it was mixed with a bunch of things. Really, he got a bad batch from what from what I understand, what I found, and I will go over that with who his uh, specific drug dealer is and why he will not testify because he's afraid of incriminating himself. So, and this is this Ann Coulter piece, and it's an op-ed, and it's going to state a couple of things that I'll briefly go over. It starts off, the defense hasn't even begun to make its case, but the prosecution's witnesses keep helping Chauvin. Uh, Week one was chop a block with weeping bystanders wailing about how they felt watching Chauvin restrain Floyd. This would be tremendous evidence if the charge against Officer Chauvin were first degree upsetting bystanders. That's not the charge. It's not even a crime. One especially distraught witness, Charles McMillian, an elderly black man, testified seeing foam coming out of Floyd's mouth. So usually, folks, in the case of foam coming out of somebody's mouth, that is from an overdose of drugs. That is not from somebody being unable to breathe. Uh, that's the first thing. Second thing is there's been there's been a another angle of footage where they have found that Chauvin actually had his knee more on his back than his neck. Additionally, and Stephen Crowder does, I don't even know if it's on YouTube because they might have taken it down at this point. Stephen Crowder did the time, did nine and a half minutes on the ground with somebody on his neck that weighed as much as Chauvin did. And Stephen Crowder is actually smaller than George Floyd. With somebody in his neck in the same position, it was much more of a a blood-like choke, if anything. It, It did not restrict the airway. And he sat there and he talked to his audience and he said, yeah, this is, don't get me wrong. He goes, don't get me wrong. This is extremely uncomfortable, but this isn't something that should block your air passage, which, which is uh, rightful, rightfully so. Your air passage is not on the back of your neck. So it goes on. Uh, on Tuesday, Lieutenant Johnny Mercil, the Minnesota or Minneapolis PD's use of force trainer, and Officer Nicole McKenzie, an MPD's medical support coordinator, testified that it would be appropriate not to provide care to a suspect who had just been fighting with officers or in the presence of a hostile crowd. Chauvin had both those circumstances. Trying to do damage control, the prosecutor asked Officer McKenzie to define a hostile crowd. She said a growing contingent of people around, if they're yelling, being even verbally abusive to those trying to provide scene security so the one thing that you can truly knock um a lot of people are knocking the police in the case that they did not render aid to george floyd the problem is that is not the protocol i've also been reading how that how how the knee positioned in the position that it was in was how he they were taught to restrain people and if you watch and this is what the, the media purposefully did this they released the footage 
of the aftermath. They didn't really release the footage of the officers being very cordial and attempting and professional and trying to get him into the cruiser. And they had a struggle with him. And then it got to the point where George Floyd got asked them and he was saying he could not breathe while he was standing up because he knows he took too many drugs or he did. He didn't get a good batch of drugs. Uh, he asked to be on the ground. So he was put on the ground. And then shortly thereafter in the position that he was in because he was kicking officers while he was on the ground. Uh, this is a case where if he complied from the very beginning, there would be no issues. Nothing, if anything, he, I mean, he would have probably ended up dying in the back of the police cruiser from an overdose of drugs. So who really knows? Now, if he, was he at an enhanced state because of the situation he was in? Oh, sure, I'm sure that happened. But this is the problem. That is not what we're convicting on. We're convicting beyond a reasonable doubt. And this is something that the media has not covered. And you're not going to get this in many places beyond a reasonable doubt that the actions that Chauvin took are second or third degree murder. And there is there is nothing that has been presented thus far by the prosecution that concludes that beyond a reasonable doubt. So if you have any reasonable doubt from the jury's perspective, you go, okay, so George Floyd, he had three times the lethal dose of fentanyl in his system mixed with amphetamines. He also had a heart condition as well. Uh, and we also had this officer who was taught to do what he did. Okay. Is there any doubt? Is there any doubt that what Chauvin did didn't cause the death of George Floyd? That is the question. If there is any doubt in your mind as a juror, this is, this is innocence. This is, it is not, you're not already guilty until proven innocent. You're innocent until proven guilty. So he has to be proven inconclusively that, uh, what Chauvin did directly led to George Floyd dying. That he he second or third degree in this case. This is not you know this is not involuntary manslaughter. This is a second or third degree murder. This is the standard is much higher. This is an assault. This isn't uh, negligence in his job or dereliction of duty. That's not the case here. Which you could try to argue those things, which would be much more sensible if you're going to try to attempt to do that. The reason that he did not render aid and the other officers didn't render aid is because they had to control the situation. When you have a bunch of belligerent people around you and you're attempting to render aid, then you get attacked by somebody and you could possibly, now your life is in danger. So next from the Daily Wire, Floyd's alleged drug dealers refuses, a uh, drug dealer refuses to testify to avoid self-incrimination. This is written by Amanda Prestigiacomo. Okay, this is a Daily Wire piece. It reads, Maurice Hall who is the alleged drug dealer who was with George Floyd during his arrest on May 25th, is refusing to testify, invoking his Fifth Amendment right, right against self-incrimination. Hall's lawyer contends that her client's testimony could lead to a third-degree murder charge in the death of George Floyd because of his alleged drug activity with 46-year-old just before the arrest. So now we have a guy that knows that he gave... George Floyd drugs and that may have, and this, once again, this does not help the prosecution. Everything that has come out thus far, I've really not seen damning evidence uh, against the defense here in this case. The prosecution has been bringing on people that have further and further uh, been able to confirm that Derek, what Derek Chauvin did did not directly cause George Floyd's death or conclusively. So, as noted by ABC News, Nelson 
would also ask, and Nelson is the defense lawyer, so during a cross-examination, if he got the opportunity, this is what he would ask Maurice Hall. He would ask Hall about, and I quote, where Floyd got the counterfeit $20 bill, whether Floyd obtained drugs from him, their activities before they arrived at Cupfold Foods, which is the place that they were attempting to pass the counterfeit $20 bill, their interactions with employees inside the store, why he and Floyd gave police false names, and why Hall left the state immediately after Floyd's death. He also said he intends to ask Hall about what was in a backpack he, he was seen holding during the encounter with police. So Hall's lawyer, Adrian Cousins, has filed a motion attempting to block subpoenas from both the prosecution and defense teams. And this is something that she stated, and I quote, Your Honor, I cannot envision any topic that Mr. Hall would be called to testify on that would be both relevant to the case that would not incriminate him, end quote. Cousins told Judge Peter Cahill on Tuesday. She continues, Mr. Hall's testimony in these matters would specifically put him in the position of being in very close proximity to Mr. Floyd in a vehicle where drugs were found during a search by police following Floyd's death, end quote. So I've also seen pictures of of these alleged drugs, these these oxycodone pills that really were not oxycodone, that were a bunch of, it was pretty much a drug cocktail. This case, the ramifications of this case are going to be very severe, whether there is a conviction or not. Uh, no matter what happens, there will be riots in the streets, and if it comes, to, comes out to be a not guilty uh, verdict, then we're going to see some crazy actions from the far left, the BLM crowd, as well as the Antifa members. We're going to see some serious problems, hopefully, what we're hoping, and, and I say to everybody, prepare themselves. I'm hoping none of this ends up bleeding into the suburban areas, because you bleed into the suburban areas, there is going to be a problem. So next, what I wanted to cover is, Ron DeSantis actually goes ahead and, and responds to the dishonesty coming from 60 Minutes, uh, play seven. And so they went for the smear. Uh, they've been caught red-handed. Now see all these corporate media people, they all scratch each other's back. So, you know, a lot of them just are pretending it didn't happen. They're not going to really police their own. Uh, but we're going to have a lot of people that are going to police their own. But the message is for people out there, unless you're a partisan leftist, uh, do not trust corporate media. You can't trust them. They're not trustworthy. They will lie. They will smear. Um, and then they just move on to the next target and think that they're going to be able to get away with it. You ain't getting away with it here, okay? You come down to our state and you try to smear people, um, you know, we're going to bite back and we're going to hold you accountable. So this is not over by any stretch of the imagination. So from what it seems like, uh, DeSantis is going to be going through with some maybe some legal action, maybe Publix as well. I don't think it's going to be him alone. I think some of these Democrat leaders also are going to go after 60 Minutes because this is what the mainstream media does. It's a smear campaign. They smear people consistently, and they expect to have no ramifications for the the uh, the smears that they that they decide to perpetuate. And they always like 
DeSantis says, they get coverage from their media allies that don't report them faking the story and making it up. And they may have a defamation of character suit here. So to play off this, this clip, you have a Republican, finally, or a conservative, rather, standing up for himself and doing something about the mainstream media. And just doing something in a general sense, DeSantis has been pretty solid responding in a very conservative way not backing down to the opposition kind of trumpian like tactics this is something that we need in in the republican party because we have a lot of lackluster spineless cowards that are in the republican party for an example of this is asa hutchinson he is the governor of arkansas he is in a lame duck so he's a lame duck he's not running for re-election okay he had an opportunity to sign a bill that would prohibit the chemical castration of children. We're not talking about adults. We are talking about children. And he decided to veto the bill. He goes on Tucker Carlson, and Tucker makes a, a mockery out of him. Play one. To ask you, I mean, there are all kinds of, we're talking about minors, children here, and there are all kinds of things in Arkansas kids in every state are not allowed to do. Get married, drink a beer, get a tattoo. Why do you think it's important for conservatives to make certain that children can block their puberty, be chemically castrated. Why is that a conservative value, if you would tell us? Well, first of all, you have parents involved in very difficult decisions. You have physicians that are involved in these decisions. And uh, I go back to William Buckley. I go back to Ronald Reagan, the principles of our party, uh, which believes in a limited role of government. Are we, as a party, abandoning a limited role of government and saying we're going to invoke the government decision-making over and above physicians, over and above health care, over and above parents, and saying... So for the sake of time, I cut it down. It was about nine minutes long. It's a long interview. Pretty much it's just Tucker Carlson and, and Hutchinson going back and forth about studies. Tucker Carlson actually cites studies. Asa Hutchinson doesn't cite any study. Asa Hutchinson... At one point, Tucker asks him if there's any corporations that have called him and asked him about this proposed bill just because he thinks that there's some sort of corporate backing or corporate money. But whatever. So so Asa Hutchinson, this is, this is the epidemic that is taking over the or has taken over and is per, permeates throughout the Republican Party. We call it candy ass Republican syndrome. Republicans not doing Republican things. In this case, he even cites it at one point, Asa Hutchinson. He says, well, you know, I protect the right to life, but, you know, on, the, on this one, we I believe in a limited role of government. And then he invokes Ronald Reagan as if Ronald Reagan would have approved of this type of policy. And really, here's what we ask at the end of the day. So what is, and, and Tucker Carlson does a great job of asking him, okay, so there's certain rules that we have prohibitions on in terms of certain things children can and can't do. Uh, smoking, we have a smoking age. Uh, buy tobacco, buy alcohol, driving, things of that nature. So what is the standard for this? In this case, what is the standard to allow chemical castration of children? Is it, what? what is it? And Asa, actually, at the end of the day, this is what our society is getting closer and closer to. And Matt Walsh does a very good job of explaining this. He talks about a lot of cultural issues. As we're getting closer and closer to the idea of consent. That's all that matters from a kid. So if you're willing to chemically castrate a child before they give them puberty blockers and then 
give them so so many different hormone treatments that they don't de develop the way in which they're supposed to develop that is what we call chemical castration that me messes with sexual organs this is mutilation it is similar it is not yet full-fledged mutilation but it is mutilation through the use of chemicals through the use of, of hormone treatments what is the age of consent then at that point because this is this is like of a sexual nature this this action should we make the age of consent now in arkansas zero it doesn't matter does this now legalize uh, sexual activity between a 30 year old and a 12 year old because that's really this is this is the case where where do we draw the line for children are we just going to say children can do whatever they want as long as they consent to it as long as they agree with it child wants to jump off a if a child wants to go and do you know jump off a bridge it's okay because they they consent to it at that age i just i'm trying to i'm trying to figure out what exactly makes this acceptable and from what it seems like the only determining factor in this case and in many other cases is the age of consent and we see this through society we see see this with this weird james charles guy that dresses up like a chick sounds like a chick but he's actually a dude that's a gay guy he's been talking to gay gay children online uh, underage people that are underage he's 21 years old uh he's he's a creep essentially and it's now to the point where the only thing that matters for children is consent and we're getting to this to this break and this this comes to the breakdown of society the breakdown of i don't even want to call it traditional values i'd rather just call it at this point reasonable values that we're allowing children to make these decisions about and they've they've their children they've never even engaged in sexual activity because they are children uh and we're we're they are making decisions on their sexuality and they're mutilating themselves and they've never even had any type of sexual activity before uh, you have no idea what the ramifications are for these drugs and tucker carlson links them to studies saying that they cause depression they cause many other uh mental illnesses and asa hutchinson's answer is oh well you know i want the small rule of government I just it's just this this candy ass republican this is something that everyone should be in agreement with everybody it shouldn't even this shouldn't even be a political issue we shouldn't be letting children take all these things if you want to do that when you're 18 years old when you're in a, when you're considered legally an adult when your body's pretty much kind of at that point produced itself or it's or it's fully developed whatever whatever age we're fully developed at is that's when if you want to go forward with this go forward with it but usually actually statistically what happens is a lot of these people will change they will switch over they will have some sort of surgery to try to uh identify as a man or a woman it's not make them a man or a woman but in, in their mind they think it does and then after doing this they call it transgender regret they actually regret making this decision and they regret doing so and there's a bunch of enablers around them that allowed them to do it as children and that's why they regret it later in life and then they have higher rates of suicide higher rates of depression because of it so Biden, what I want to get to next, I have all of the economic stuff and all the tax dollars that are going to be spent after these all these cultural issues. So I think thus far, thus far our show's been pretty uh, on fire. We've had a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff to cover. It seems like always in the earlier of the week, the very first show, and I actually have a lot of stuff to cover uh, in the next show, carrying over from the show, because so much, the, the it seems like in the middle of the week, the news cycle just explodes right after my uh, my current event on Wednesdays usually. So first off, I want to start off with a Biden tax proposal. 
to pay for infrastructure. Uh, Fox Business Piece, it's written by Megan Henney. And this is a plan, this is, once again, the, the tax, it's the Made in America tax plan, they're calling it. And it's going to raise the taxes on corporations from 21 to 28%. And it's uh, the reason, and I, I, I actually somewhat am sympathetic to this, this, this plan in terms of they're trying to bring jobs back to America and they're going to hit people with hard taxes that outsource the jobs. But I'll tell you what the problem is with this proposal. It seeks to, and, and it says in the piece, the proposal also seeks to tighten tax code loopholes that allow, that allow corporations to reduce or eliminate their liability often by shifting profits overseas. It would be in part by doubling the global minimum rate paid by American multinational companies to 21% by ending offshoring incentives. The administration estimated it would bring about $700 billion in federal revenue into its coffers. These are always, these estimates are always based on current numbers with no estimation of people attempting to dodge taxes. So what the Biden, Biden wants to incentivize bringing jobs back to the United States. They're going to raise the multinational tax to 21%. But they're going to keep the tax in the United States to 28%. So people are still going to outsource jobs for that 7%. That's the first thing. Second thing is the reason that there was ever an outsourcing of jobs out of America, there's a lot of free market incentives in terms of certain goods that were needed to make whatever product it was may have been in that country that they outsourced it to. But that is not usually the case. Usually the case actually is that the taxes in the United States are so high that people would rather circumvent the tax system in the United States and bring the jobs over to another country. And the liberals don't understand this concept. Uh, this is the reason that jobs have left the United States is because of the high corporate tax rates. So what you have to do is you have to actually lower the corporate tax rate. That is the way in which to mobilize those jobs, bring them back to the United States to transfer them back here. The liberals, the problem is they want jobs in America. They want good paying jobs in America, but they also want really high taxes on corporations. So you cannot have both of them. When you hit corporations with a high tax, corporations will pick up and they will move to another country. Uh, rightfully so. That's the way in which you should handle with people. When, when people say we want to tax you as much as possible, with your initial response as an American in America where we fought a war over taxes, you should pick your stuff up and you should do anything you can do the, the flipsy do flipperoo and attempt to dodge every single tax that you can. Okay, so it continues. It would raise $2.5 trillion in new revenue over the course of 15 years, the White House said, and would be used to pay for the sweeping infrastructure measure, dubbed the American Jobs Plan, that President Biden unveiled last week. That proposal would make massive investments in the nation's roads and bridges, as well as transit systems, schools, and hospitals, although some corporations have indicated they are willing to pay more in taxes. The proposal has drawn criticism from Republicans and several business groups, including the Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable, which argue that higher taxes would ultimately derail the economy's recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. All right, so these ideas of, oh, we're going to bring in, we're going to bring in this much tax, they, they make it as if the government, when they talk about taxes, especially the Democrats, they make it like the government is giving money away like there is some sort of like the government they call it tax well you know conservatives usually call it tax incentives governments call i mean uh, democrats call it like tax rebates like they're just handing the money so when amazon decided not to go to new york 
the response from AOC was something like, oh, well, we saved ourselves $200 million because of the tax incentives or the, the lower taxes that we we're going to give to Amazon. You guys didn't save yourself any money because you would have been bringing in money with Amazon. You would have just brought in less, you know, $200 million less than you should have brought in because of the tax incentives that you were going to give in your specific uh, city. So there's just such a confusion about taxes, tax rates from, from both uh, sides. They don't agree on the way in which taxes should be handed out. They should be the lowest possible. There should be a flat rate tax. That's probably the best case scenario, but there would be much more innovation. You're working on smaller margins, especially if you're a small business owner. So the reason for smaller tax rates are sensible and they, they make sense. And you see these big corporations now are starting to actually push higher tax rates. And I'm going to get to that. I have an article written by the, um, what do they call the Freedom Economic Foundation? The Foundation for Economic Freedom. There we go. So infrastructure plans. Uh, plan will cost more than expected. That's written by the Foundation of Economic Freedom. I think the other one is too as well. Yeah, it is. Okay. So this is just the first glance, this two and a half trillion dollar plan. Actually, they're estimating it's going to be 2.75 trillion, says Chris Edwards of the Cato Institute, because of uh, they ran the numbers and they projected the true cost to be 2.65 trillion, which you say, okay, so it's not that big of a difference. But if you actually really do the math on 2.65 trillion, at the end of the day, uh, the difference between 2.25 trillion and 2.75 trillion is 500 billion. So it's really a lot larger than than you would think it is. And if 500 billion is 3500 per federal taxpayer. So at the end of the day, it's, it is it's not what they're estimating it to be. It's really going to cost more and additionally when they go to raise the taxes, they have this estimation based on the current numbers. People are willing to leave extra numbers on their spreadsheet and get hit with the tax right now because the tax rate is not high. Once the tax rate is higher, they're going to leave less and less numbers on the on your sheets here, on your tax sheets or whatever, what have you, the, the money is going to go straight to R&D research and development so that so they can circumvent the taxes until the tax rate becomes better. That's what will happen in this case. People will leave less money on their spreadsheets because they don't want to be taxed heavily on it and they'll find whatever they can do to dodge the taxes. So the government says they're going to bring in, you know, so much money over time. It's really not the case. It never works out that way. People always dodge the taxes and you actually end up bringing in less corporate tax rate taxes from the tax cuts recently that happened we had federal taxpayers themselves individual taxpayers we actually gained more revenue from that lower taxes we gained more revenue because people were get, getting more money because the corporations when you think of corporations this this idea of high and this is a, a very important uh, principle here when you think of corporations, everyone thinks, oh, the big, this big rich guy, one guy, Jeff Bezos. No, no, that's not the case. Corporation is made up of all of the employees that work for the corporation. So when you go to tax the corporation, you tax everyone that works for the corporation. You tax all the workers. You don't tax Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos usually doesn't take a salary a lot of these times. What he'll do is he'll write off whatever whatever work expense that he has. He'll, he'll you know, I own the industry. I own the business. I own this much. I have all this money. Uh, I will, he'll find ways to write off things that he personally is taking money in doing. And that's, that's really the case. So when you go to tax a corporation, you really just tax everyone that works for the corporation. You're not, ta you're not hurting Jeff Bezos, his top dollar. He, he makes a lot of money, an additional 6% on, on when you're worth billions. It doesn't even matter. It really just hurts the working class more than anything.
And this is why, <clears throat> next, why Amazon supports tax hikes uh, and why this is a red flag. This is written by the Foundation for Economic Freedom. And I believe this is also written by Brad Palumbo as well, like the last one. And they have a Bezos quote right off the bat. It starts off, states, and I quote, We support the Biden administration's focus on making bold investments in American infrastructure. We recognize this investment will require concessions from all sides, both on the specifics of what's included as well as how it gets paid for. We're supportive of a rise in the corporate tax rate. Uh, for some extra emphasis. So he approves of it. Amazon has also lobbied aggressively for other big government policies like a $15 federal minimum wage. At first glance, this might seem like an endorsement of the policies, um, yet it's actually a giant red flag. I'm going to explain why. Years ago, the way in which it used to work is you had Republicans that usually gave tax cuts. A lot of times the corporations backed Republicans because they knew that they weren't going to get hit with a heavy tax. Now corporations will concert with the government because they realize this is a much easier plan. You don't have to pay as many people off to do this. You will say, yeah, sure. Raise the tax rates and raise the minimum wage because we're already paying that money. Uh, the small business that works on much shorter margins get screwed and the big industry will continue to consolidate those small businesses as they're going out of business they will take all of their customers from them so these big these big high tax rates these increased minimum wage will only run small businesses and all of the competition out of the market and that is the reason why it's endorsed by amazon they've realized this now over time that they can concert with the government and government policies to run all of their competition out of business because their competition works on much smaller margins than Amazon does because Amazon has almost endless amounts of money. So it states, next, when CEOs and politicians are able to agree on seemingly anti-business policies, it's often because they know the government roadblocks instituted will entrench their market dominance and ultimately redound to the C-suite's benefit. Amazon knows it can weather the storm of higher corporate tax corporate taxes uh, right now it pays very little in corporate taxes because it exploits tax breaks but many of its smaller competitors cannot meanwhile bezos also knows that his company can afford armies of tax experts accountants and lawyers to exploit every loophole to minimize damage a luxury many less dominant rivals won't have and most importantly a wealth of economic research shows that workers and consumers really bear the majority of the costs of corporate taxes through lower wages and higher prices. We've gone over this many times, higher prices from expenditure prices, from inflation uh, of the increased minimum wage rate. It goes on, the elementary fact is that business does not and cannot pay taxes, uh, Milton Friedman once explained. And this is the important principle. That I stated before. So the elementary fact is that business does not and cannot pay taxes. Only people can pay taxes. Corporate officials may sign the check, but the money that they forward to internal revenues to internal revenue comes from the corporation's employees, customers, and stockholders. Okay, so internal revenue is in the IRS. And at the end of the day, corporations are made up of people that work for the corporation. They're also made up of customers, employees. Employees, customers, and people that hold stock. More specifically, a study by the Tax Foundation found that Biden's proposed corporate tax hike would shrink the overall size of the economy, reduce wages, and eliminate 159,000 jobs. 
So, like I said, this this idea, this high tax idea is now big government concerting with big business and big business is pushing and imploring for a higher tax rate and higher. And, and here's here's the at the very end of this argument. And this is how, you know, they're frauds, big business. So big business, if you guys really believe in a high tax rate and you want to lobby for a high tax rate and you believe that government is a net good on society. Why is it that you yourself pays the higher tax rate that you're you are advising everybody to pay the policy that you're looking to push? If you believe in a 28% corporate tax rate, it's currently a 21%, why don't you go ahead, you pay 28% every single year, and everybody else will continue to do their 21% that's required by the government? Why is it that Amazon is not going forward with a gift to the government every year of 28% while everybody else is paying 21%? Why Amazon... Why are you dodging all the taxes and then saying everybody else should have to pay the 28% taxes? Additionally, why is it that you're paying your you're paying your employees $15 an hour? That's that's great. You want the minimum wage to be $15 an hour. Why is it that you're not okay with just paying your people $15 an hour and that's it? Why is it that every other business in the entire ecosystem, because Amazon's so huge that they're starting to take over almost every business in the country. They have AWS, the uh, the web servers. They run the internet pretty much at this point if you want to be able to create a web page and host it. They own almost all the servers. So since you are branching out into so many different organizations, so many different sectors of the economy, why is it that you can't just pay your people $15 at least? Your minimum, your own minimum wage over at Amazon can't be 15 but everybody else can continue to pay whatever minimum wage they want or whatever the federal minimum is. I think it's like $7.25 an hour. Why is it that everybody else has to do exactly what you're doing? That is the question. And that's how you know, that's how you know a hypocrite, that's how you know a fraud. When you have liberals come out, they talk about how much they care about the environment, how you should do this, this, and this, and you ask them, oh, so what do you do for the environment? Do you have some sort of a Prius electrical vehicle? And you, you start to realize that they do not preach, they do not reap what they preach. They do not do what they tell, it's, it's uh, do as I say, not as I do. They do whatever they want, and then they tell you, and they try to be this, this, uh, this little petty tyrant and tell you what to do and tell you how to live your life. And that is essentially what the authoritarian left is all about. And that's what they consistently do on a regular basis to regular working class Americans and regular working class class Americans don't have the money to go out and really worry about the environment. They're looking for a paycheck. They're looking to feed their family every single day. They're not worried about these, these almost these rich people problems for, for uh, sake of a better term. So study, and, and I have another study here from Breitbart News. It's written by John Kearney, Carney. It's a study by the National Association of Manufacturers. And the, they're stating in this study that a ta the tax hikes, not just the tax hike, but all the tax hikes that have been proposed by the Biden administration will cost 1 million jobs in the first two years. It's a very short excerpt here. So it says, the study authored by Rice University economists John W. Diamond and George R. Zodro calculated the effects of increasing the corporate tax rate to 20%, increasing the top marginal tax rate, repealing the 20% pass-through deduction, eliminating certain expensing provisions, and taxing capital gains as ordinary income for individuals earning $1 million or more, so all those policies, they found that the U.S. would lose 1 million jobs in the first two years. GDP would be $117 billion lower by 2023, and ordinary capital or investments in equipment and structures would be $80 billion less in 2023. 
So they found through all these taxes, everything that's been proposed by the Biden administration, we're going to actually jobs, we're going to lose 1 million jobs. People are going to be much worse off. The economy is not going to, GDP is not going to increase. It's actually going to be lower, which we haven't seen in a very long time. Uh, so all these policies, not only are they tyrannical, and the reason for these policies, folks, it's always the same thing. They want to take as much money as they can from you. They want you to be as reliant on government as you can be. And they want you to have as, as little individual as, uh, individual freedom as possible. And the reason they want that is so they can easily control you. If you're reliant on the government, if you do not have capital, if you are somebody that wants to go out there to the world and you want to say and release that you are conservative and you are a Trump supporter... Nowadays in America, that can lose you your job. So if you have individual rights, individual freedom, you're getting low tax by the government, you are able to invest your money and make capital off of that money and have the amount of money that we would like to refer to as FU money, for lack of a better term, you can go out there and you can say whatever you want and the government can do nothing about it. Your job can fire you, but that doesn't matter. That is true freedom. When you have the freedom to say whatever you want in the job that you work, or let's say you you already own your business, you could say whatever you want, and there's no ramifications from the government, you don't get fired, you continue to live your life as you please, that is the ultimate freedom, that is the freedom now, and it's sad that this is what I'm talking about, being able, and this is supposed to be in the First Amendment, which Second Amendment shall not be infringed, First Amendment has very, very similar, has very similar wording to that, the First Amendment in a way should not be infringed, I can't remember exactly uh, per se what it says verbatim, but that, that, that is sad that this is what we are now searching for. We are searching for a scenario, and, and many people have it. I personally have it myself. I love doing the podcast. This is, this is why I do the podcast. I would hope that this podcast would get large enough where I can quit my job and I can come out here and I can say whatever I want, whenever I want, all the time. And there's no ramifications. Nobody can do anything about it. And then eventually build up capital through investments or what have you, whatever I end up doing in my personal life to be able to say whatever I want, and I'm insured. Un, you know what they call it, and Joe Rogan refers to it many times, he, he says it all the time, be undeniable. You ha, you become undeniable, you become so good at something that you are undeniable, that is like a Rush Limbaugh-like character. You are undeniably dominating, you are undeniably amazing or phenomenal in what you do, where the government cannot do anything to you. There's nothing the government can do. There's nothing private industry can do. They could say boycott you as much as you want, but you are so undeniable that there is nothing that they can do. There's nothing they can do to take your freedom away from you. And that is, I think, what many Americans are searching for and yearning for. So I wanted to end. I have a couple quick headlines. First off, I want to play a clip of a Calgary church, a Canadian pastor. He had a face-off with the public health officials as, long, as well as a law enforcement play nine. Get out of this property immediately. Get out. Get out of this property immediately. Out. I don't want to hear anything. Out of this property immediately. I don't want to hear a word. Out. Out. Out of this property immediately until you come back with a warrant. Out. 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 Out of this property immediately out immediately go out and don't come back that'd be nice to see somewhere in america uh somebody actually stand up like that we've we've really we've seen a little bit here and there that's just i guess the tyranny that's going on in canada they felt that they can just come in and tell that guy no longer to um 
have church proceedings, do his job, his freedom of religion. I don't know necessarily what their freedom of religion standard is there, but he said, unless if you have a warrant, you know, uh, pretty much this guy's like the hero of, of the week here in, in this story. So another story I have, Canadian church shut down and fenced off shortly thereafter, Breitbart News. I don't think it's specifically the same pastor. I ended up reading the names. It was somebody else. So they shut shut down this church because apparently they were holding they were holding uh, church proceedings, which I, I guess in violation of what their government says. Is anybody else sick of this big government, this big government idea that we should all listen to the government? I just don't, I don't subscribe to it. I just don't subscribe to it anymore. I never really did. I never like, oh, well, you know, the executive order, the pro, the governor said you shouldn't do that. And like, okay, well, what, walk across the street, not wear a mask outside. Uh, school Choice Popularity Soars, that is a federal uh, Federation for Children piece. And this is a very interesting piece. I think it was something like 70, let me see. I had the, oh, here we go. I remember having the screenshot somewhere. So major findings. 71% of voters back school choice. This is the highest level of support ever recorded from major AFC national polling with a sample size above 800 voters. 65% of support parents having access to a portion of per pupil funding to use for home, uh, virtual or private education. If public schools don't reopen full time or for in-person classes. So try to break this down. 65%, that whole per pupil funding, you say, what does that mean? That is for every single kid that's in the district, whatever the amount of money that is spent on that child. If these schools do not reopen 65% of people support the idea of just giving that money to the, to the uh, parent, to do as they please with the child, uh, whether they take homeschool them, send them to a private institution, do whatever they want, some to, some sort of charter school, and I think there would be actually a lot more competition in this case if that if if that was the case. I actually think me personally, I'm a fan of the idea of school choice. I don't think that kids should be sent to terrible failing schools where teacher unions run amok, and uh, the social welfare system is just has just taken everything over. And you should not be stricken to a terrible livelihood or a terrible job in the future when you're a child because you have to go to the public school. And that's really democratic. That's the difference between this is a like super liberal or a conservative issue. And I cannot see any and I never really had an opinion of this. And then I listened to Dan Bongino and he was he is a product of the idea of school choice. He went to private school when he was a kid. He got a scholarship. Very lucky. He said it like completely changed his life. So you can be a kid that's destitute living in in, uh, in Baltimore and you can go to this private school and completely change your life. You can get a much better education. It can pull you out of poverty. With the Democrats, their idea is, oh, no, just keep throwing more and more money into the school system. More and more money gets thrown in the school system. It just goes to the teacher unions. Teachers get paid better. Standards are still the same. Standards aren't rising. The problem is, is it's not that we don't have the personnel. It's not that we don't have we, we don't have the technology. Those aren't things that are needed or, and extremely, uh, especially the technology, isn't something that is extremely essential to learning nowadays. That's not really the case. It's the idea. It's the ideology. It is the atmosphere that is needed to learn and succeed. Uh we have the personnel. We a lot of the times we have the technology. We have the building. We have everything. This money that gets thrown, it's just paying people more. And the teachers' unions are getting huge payoffs. Teachers are getting huge payoffs, and they're not in return. There's not better standards. The standards are the same. They stay the same. They just get paid more. So throwing more uh, institutional money 
at these programs, these public school programs, is not helping. It is shown to not have a positive correlation. It does not affect scores. It just does not affect success of the children. And you are stricken to a life of destitution if you already are in a bad school system. It, it is a broken system where you are just set. To, you are almost, almost in a, in a sense, you are almost set up for for failure. There are some individual responsibilities of parenting as well that play into that. But I do believe firmly with these other 71% of people that are fans of school choice. I just don't understand how the government can get away with telling people that uh, you have to you have to go to a public school. And I do like the idea. I'm a big fan of the funding for the home. So if, if you tell, it's, it's much harder to pull your kid out of public school and then you're being told, oh, well, you're not getting uh, any help, especially if you live in New Jersey where you're paying like $9,000 a year. And property taxes, I know, folks, if, if you're from anywhere else around the country, you're like, that's absurd. You're paying nine, you pay 9,000 for property taxes in New Jersey. On average, it's around 9,000, yes. So you can pay that 9,000 property taxes. You want to pull your kid out of the public school program, you can't do that and, and send them to private school. So when you send them to, when you pull them out and you decide to send them to private school, you're not getting any type of tax incentive or you're not getting a credit. You're getting nothing from the public school program. So you're still paying for the public schools and then your kids in result are going to a private school and you have to also pay out of pocket for that. And that's really the problem. I think that's why there's a lot less mobility when it comes to going to a private institution. And that's the problem. I think that we are, we really are doing a disservice to our children. We're sending them off. Uh, we are setting them up for failure in that case. So ICE gave $87 million contract to former Biden aide. That's a huge story. It's on Washington Examiner. I have a lot of uh, stories here, a lot of news that's been coming out. So ICE, certain facilities where they were housing migrants, facilities as in almost like hotels, $87 million contract went through ICE to a former Biden aide. And usually when these contracts go up, there's a bid on them. This contract never even went up for a bid. They just handed it right to a former Biden aide. And that's why it's such a big story for me. I mean, the media is probably not really recover. Uh, they're really not covering it much. So it says uh, in this piece, last month, Immigration and Customs Enforcement signed a $87 million contract to acquire an overseen operation involving 1,200 hotel beds to house migrant families in Arizona and Texas. The contract was given to the nonprofit organization Family Endeavors based out of San Antonio, Texas, which has no previous history as an ICE contractor. But Family Endeavors does have a former senior official of the Biden administration or the Biden transition team in its leadership. Former ICE official Andrew Lorenzen Strait identified as a potential broker in the deal by Rep. Andrew Clyde of Georgia, who is tracking the contract as well as two others with knowledge of the situation. So this is the whole standard by which they, they choose these government contracts. Government contracts are supposed to be awarded through an open competitive process outlined in the federal acquisition regulation, information obtained through the federal procurement data system indicates that ICE never re never opened the contract to outside companies and organizations, but went with an internal candidate who had significant insider connections. So it's pay-for-play scheme. It's the thing that they were accusing Trump of doing when Trump really wasn't doing it. Because it was these things, it was these buildings that Trump owned. And it was like, oh, the government, they did this. And then Trump ends up just paying out of pocket for all this stuff. Trump, I think, I read something like Trump lost a th um, $1 billion of his net worth over these last four years because he wasn't really able to run operations himself. So Biden officials encountered 127,000 illegals in March, 71% increase from February. 
That's a Bongino piece. So we saw a 71% increase from February. 127,000 illegals were encountered by uh, border officials, which is substantial. And the bigger story I have is two Yemeni men arrested by Border Patrol identified on the FBI's terrorism watch list. This is a Customs and Border Protection piece. It was a media release, and they retracted it. So I had it beforehand. When you go to click the link now, it brings you to a page that they say does no longer exists. And there's been actually many cases of these um, these these terrorists attempting to enter the country through the southern border because they know it's such a loose border. And I was reading earlier. I don't know if this is necessarily true or not. This is kind of being rumored right now that the Biden administration is talking about actually restarting building the wall up again because it's so bad that they cannot handle the abundance of people that are attempting to cross over the border. So that'll end this one. This will complete. It will complete the uh, current event episode. Just a little housekeeping. This next upcoming week, I'm also not going to have any Federalist Papers. I'm I'm going to start the week after next week. Once again, starting those up. I just haven't had that as much time as I usually do. And additionally, make sure you really tune into the Tuesday night, Wednesday morning special or, or current event that we're going to have because I have a lot of Hunter Biden information. Uh, it's a lot of very, very troubling, grotesque uh, evidence. I don't really know if I even want to show you the pictures, but it does link him back to his laptop and it's some conversations that he had with his father, Joe Biden, at the time, the pay-for-play scheme that they were uh, a part of. So I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. Please make sure you drop the mic. Let the people know about the podcast. And that is it. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend.